Amen. Hey, this morning we're going to be in Colossians chapter 3, and we're just going to be looking at one verse, verse 15. It's a simple verse, but I think that if we give ourselves to the application of this verse and allow it to transform our lives, it could have a phenomenal impact, not only in our lives, but in the lives of all those with whom we come into contact. Paul gives us uh, an antidote, in some sense, to the situation that many of us find ourselves in. I've talked to a number of people this week and in weeks prior that have, have told me that they've simply abandoned any type of news intake. I said, listen, uh, you know, I wake up in the morning and I, I, I turn on the news and I find myself turning it right back off. I, I, I pull up a web page with a bunch of headlines coming fa- along and I find myself moving on to the next one because every time that I encounter these, I've, I, I notice that the result isn't that I become more informed, the result is that I become more anxious. You know, granted, all of these headlines are, are, are written in such a way to be a little bit salacious. They're written in such a way as to be a little bit enticing. They're written in such a way to kind of draw you in and have you ask the question, can these things really be so? And, and if you take the time to read the entirety of the article, you'll find that sometimes they are so, and sometimes it's an editor just saying, this article is boring as all get out. We need a good title if people are going to read it and if we're going to sell ad space. But nevertheless... Or then the anxiety that's given to us by reading salacious articles or the anxiety just by virtue of being in this life and and, and the drain that some of the things that we currently are enduring bring to us. We find an antidote to all of these things in Colossians chapter 3 and verse 15. Look at what Paul writes. He says, and let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts to which indeed you are called in one body, and then he appends to this, and be thankful. Now let me remind you that the group that Paul is addressing here, he went down through, and in this section immediately prior, he told them kind of who they are and and what they are. He said, you are God's chosen ones, you are holy and you are beloved, and that they're, they're to dress themselves in a certain attire. And he described this in verse 12, he said, that is compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience. And after he addressed them in this attire, then he comes there in verse 14 and he wraps them in love. And he says, this is how you stand. Body, this is how you are known. This is how you engage with the people around you, dressed as this. And and what difference does how we're dressed make? How we are dressed changes how people see us. And so if we're dressed in envy and greed and anxiety and maliciousness, then people walk up and they see us in these things. But if we're dressed in compassionate hearts, if we're dressed in kindness and humility and goodness, and if all of these things are wrapped up in love, then that's what people experience when they meet us. And we recognize that these things come from one place and one place alone. Now look what he says. The command here is to submit yourself to something particular. He says, let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts. So we recognize that that this sounds good to us, doesn't it? Like having a little bit of peace, diminishing a lot of our anxiety, experiencing something that doesn't make our blood pressure rise, that doesn't make us just pop off uh, at anybody that that, that frustrates us. And so this sounds good, but, but what is the peace that is on offer here? Well, to understand this peace, we have to understand the God that submits it to us, and we have to understand from whence it came. 
And so this idea of, of, of the peace of God, flip over to Numbers in chapter 6. Let's look at a couple of places in the Old Testament. Numbers in chapter 6, Moses is giving direction to Aaron before Aaron issues this blessing over the people. And so he wants this blessing to be said in a particular way. He wants it to mean a specific thing. And look at what this blessing is in Numbers chapter 6, verses 24 through 26. He says, the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. See, the idea that, that Christians come to from the Bible is, is that peace outside of God is passing, it is fleeting, and it's something we can't actually hold on to. It's something that we can't kind of maintain on our own. So this is this deal we see in Numbers where he's saying, Aaron, say this to the people that they need God's peace. And in Judges chapter 6 and verse 24, we find that the Lord is referred to in that passage as peace. The Lord is peace. And then in Isaiah chapter 9 and verse 6, we read of Jesus, this one who would come, right? And, and the word described in there says that he is or he will be the Prince of Peace. And so when Jesus is there with his disciples, he's teaching them what life uh, is, like, is to be like for the Christian living in the midst of this world. And he's teaching them what life is to be like after his departure. And a life wherein the Christian is enlivened and, and, a, and a life where we live in submission to the Spirit, he gives us an understanding of what that life will be like. And so in John chapter 16 and verse 33, we read these words. Now, it's instructive and it's helpful. Jesus says to them, he says, I've said these things to you that in, everybody say, in me. In me you may have peace. Now, if he just full stopped there, it would be okay, it would be helpful for us. But he doesn't full stop there. He gives them a full picture of what it looks like to have peace in Jesus and still live in the midst of the world. He says, you have peace in me, but in this world you have tribulation. In the world we're going to have sorrow. In the world we're going to have difficulty. In the world we're going to have uncertainty. So he says, in me you're going to have peace. In the world you're going to have tribulation. But take heart. Why? Because I have overcome the world. Do you believe that he's overcome the world? Because that's where peace is found. Peace is found in our faith tethered to Jesus, not our ability to not read the news. Peace is found in Jesus, not our ability to say the cup is half full. Peace is only ever found in the person, in the abiding presence, in the sufficiency of Jesus. And the peace of Jesus is the only good thing that you and I have to offer anybody in the midst of these things. Amen? Jesus, is, Jesus says, peace is found in me. In this world you will have trouble, but take heart, I've overcome the world. Now the idea of peace found in Colossians. Paul kind of begins this conversation on peace back in Colossians chapter 1 and verses 19 and 20. Paul wrote and he says, speaking of Jesus, for in him... In Christ, all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. In essence, there's no part of Jesus that is not fully God. The fullness of God was pleased to dwell in Jesus. Jesus manifests the Father. He shows us the Father. Verse 20, 
and through him, through Jesus, to reconcile all things to himself, whether in, on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. And there we have it. How can we have peace today? The only way you can have peace is through the blood of Jesus. You know, this gives us a decided understanding that we are at a relative impasse in our ability to create and sustain peace on our own. Some of us have decidedly toxic relationships around us. So you're married uh, to somebody who's just awful to be around. You have children who are a terrible drain on you. You have a boss, you have an employer that every time you're around them, you can feel yourself welling up inside and you can feel the anxiety just kind of choking you and suppressing you. And so you've learned to navigate those relationships. You've learned uh, what I can say in, in this setting and what I can say in that setting and when I just need to up myself and move into another space to create physical distance so that peace is able to be maintained. And we've become experts at this. We've become savants at this engagement of maintaining some type of brokered peace in the midst of these relationships. But there's a peace which is necessary for humanity to enjoy. And there's a peace that's on offer. There's a peace that's freely given, but it is a peace that was hard won. And see, it's the peace that humanity largely denies even the necessity of its requirement. You and I were born sinful far away from God, and we are moving away from him at a breakneck pace. Ephesians 2 says that we are dead in our sins and our trespasses in which we once walked, obeying the sons of disobedience, the prince of the power of the air. In essence, we were spiritually dead, we liked it, and we didn't want things to change. And in the midst of our spiritual deadness, in the midst of our rebellion, in the midst of living in our sinfulness, in the fullness of time, God sent his son, the Christ, to come and to submit himself to be a perfectly sinless, acceptable sacrifice on our part. Colossians 1.20 says, peace is made through the blood of his cross. Our Savior hanging upon the cross, taking upon himself the full penalty and the punishment of our sin and our ostracism from God, taking upon himself the due penalty we had justly earned and justly deserved. It is this act, his gracious, compassionate death on our, on our behalf, and God raising him back up from death, the death that gives to us the possibility of peace. You see, the peace that you and I so desperately need right now is not the worldly peace, this understanding of just inner calm, inner tranquility. But that's what so many of us want. The peace on offer, the peace that God extends to us, is a peace from the penalty and the punishment of sin and death. And it's the peace that Jesus extends to us. But if I'm honest, in a lot of my conversations with people, and if you're honest, momentarily within your heart, we occasionally, we would rather have the peace of the world. So we don't spend very much time praying for the peace of Christ. We spend a great deal of time praying for this peace of the world. I want to feel calm. I want my anxiety to go away. And so we pray for the symptoms that we think lead to this feeling of anxiety. I feel like I'm going to lose my job. 
So I spent a great deal of time praying that I would not lose my job. I feel like my, my relationship with, with my spouse is all his fault or all her fault. So I began to pray that God would primarily just change their hearts. I want something outside of me to change. I have this sense that if I just made more money, if I was just more successful, that life would be better. And that if life were better, if I had a larger deposit in my bank account, money wouldn't be such an issue. And in the midst of that sufficiency, and in the midst of enjoying that comfort, I could be calm. If I just had more money, I'd have more time. If I just had more time, I'd be more patient. If I were just more patient, I could be kinder to my children. I could parent them better. And if all of these things would line up, then all the dominoes would fall, and what it would do, what it would end, what it would yield would be peace in my heart. Some of us look at the political landscape and think, if I could just get the right person elected, we could begin this kind of shift to bring all of these things into a line, and we could see peace, not just in my heart, but peace everywhere. If I could just change this policy, if I could just change that policy, if I could just change this person's opinion in this way, it would make me happy and satisfied, huh, until I meet somebody else and recognize they're just as hapless and, and wasted as the person before them. All of these externals, listen to me, they cannot yield peace in your heart. They can change your disposition. They can temporarily make your day perceived to be better. But the peace on offer here is fundamentally unaffected by the bad things of your life. And that's what makes it glorious. You see, occasionally God uses the crucible of life to make us hungry for his peace. Occasionally what God uses is the desperation of the events overwhelming you to drive you to this reality that you can do nothing on your own, that you need one who is greater and high above any failing peace that you could hope to achieve. The peace that he brings is far better and above any relational peace that you could create. The peace that he could bring is far better and above any job or any financial success or any health you might have. The peace on offer? The peace able to be enjoyed by Christians who have united themselves to God is hard fought and won for them by Christ. And he freely offers it. Some of us need to remind ourselves that God ha has not declared to us a life free of pain and injury and difficulty, but what he extends to us is his son's peace. And look at what he says here. This peace, it has to rule in your hearts. Let's just think about the aspect of this for a moment. Let's think about uh, this idea, and this is the only place in the New Testament this word is used, but just think about how this works for a moment. So if you, if you begin to think, or I begin to think about the difference between mediation and arbitration. And so you and I have some business arrangement, we've, we've, we've reached loggerheads, and we're unable to overcome it, and so we hire a mediator, and he comes in, and he, he begins to present, I, I really think you should consider Matt's opinion, and, and he goes to me, and he says, I really think, okay, you're not going to listen to me, and, and so back and forth, and back and forth, and back and forth. Well, in the midst of mediation, you and I have both have the, the possibility and the opportunity to completely reject the things that the mediator is putting forward, and neither one of those are binding. 
And we like that, don't we? We like that God. We like that God who would come to us and would extend things to us and says, listen, I know you're unhappy. I, I, I know you're not enjoying this thing. So how, how, how about this right here? How about as you engage in your hopes and your dreams for your future? How about your hopes and your dreams for your children? How about this relationship? And how about this for your, your place of employment? How about all these things? How about this future? And we say, listen, you go back to them and you come back with a better offer. You come back with a peace that's more appealing. You come back with a peace that's more satisfactory. You come back with a peace that looks a lot like going back to the way things used to be. Unmasked, fully embracing everybody. You go back and you bring that peace to me. That's not the type of mediator he is. That's not the peace that Christ has on offer for you and for me. Now, what the text is saying here is we're not entering into the midst of mediation, but we are, in fact, entering into the midst of arbitration, where Christ is the primary arbiter, comes to us, and he extends to him, and he says, this is the peace on offer. Well, you have it. If we are to have a right relationship with God, we don't get to make the rules. Because we don't get to make the rules, if we're going to submit ourselves and have this right, orthodox, true, biblical relationship with him, we must accept the peace on offer. And we have to submit ourselves to its rule. And it's difficult. Because we recognize that some of the very things that we are praying for We're praying that things get better, whatever the world that means anymore. We're praying that things get easier. I've just been praying that I could sleep longer. I think that's achievable. I think it's attainable. But in the midst of these things, we recognize that that, that some of us, our prayer lives need to change. And we need to say, Lord, help me to be faithful and help me to be dependent, and help me to be content, and help me to be submissive so that your peace can rule in my heart. And if we let his peace rule in our heart, it fundamentally begins to alter a congregation. Because look at this. He doesn't come into the midst of this and say, hey, Jesse, let Christ's peace rule in your heart. Uh, Hey, Keith, let let, let Christ's peace rule in your heart. Hey, Jeff, let Christ's peace rule in your heart. Hey, Justin, I'll skip you. Hey, Kalina, let Christ's peace rule in your heart. Hey, Riggins, let Christ's peace rule in your heart. Hey, Peter, let let Christ's peace rest and rule in your heart. It comes to all of us. It is a work, it is a requirement of all of us to submit all of ourselves to him. Because look what he says. He says, to which indeed you, plural, were called in one body. Candidly, freely, we don't have the possibility in the midst of these things, if we are to be found genuine, to say, I'm sorry, that peace is not for me. I I much prefer, Jesus, the Eastern notion of peace, which is just kind of hum. Everybody say with me, hum. That's hogwash. Why did you say that? Don't be a lemming. Listen, 
the peace that he has on offer for us is peace between us and the Lord. It was won us by the blood of Jesus. And we're called to demonstrate that all together. And a lot of what that's going to look like for a great deal, a great many of us rather, is exalting other people instead of ourselves. Lifting up other people instead of ourselves. Being dressed in love, displaying humility, displaying kindness with compassionate hearts, going to our brothers and sisters who disagree with us and championing for them and championing their cause. And in the midst of these things, we have the possibility of of calling people that we encounter in our neighborhoods and in the shops. People that we engage in a variety of different communication settings. And saying to them, legitimately, you seem to be really upset about this. You seem to be really passionate about that. Can I tell you about something I'm passionate about? Can I tell you about a God who won for you peace and freely extends it to you? But my fear, my great sense of trepidation is that many of us would rather see our desires come to be born and realized in our way of the world to be the only way of the world rather than see the peace of Christ rule in the hearts of all men and women. The peace he has on offer far surpasses any peace we might be able to create or engender or broker. The really great thing about this is the church that becomes ruled by the peace of Christ is the church that becomes thankful. Thankful. I've not observed a great number of people recently express very much thanks But probably, like me, you've experienced a terrific number of people not express thanks, but engage in a terrific display of angst, frustration, bitterness, anxiety, bullheadedness, lacking in compassion, lacking in humility, lacking in a full and vibrant and beautiful display of the peace of Christ. But this is what he says we have to be. As Christians, we don't get to be pessimistic people who just say, ha, it's already going there in a handbasket. Let me just speed it along. As Christians, we are those who are primarily thankful men and women. Psalm 107 and verse 1 says, Oh, give thanks to the Lord. Why? For he is good. Thankfulness reminds us, it helps us to remember that God is good. God's goodness is not subjective. Sometimes our vision of God's goodness is obscured. It is obstructed because we're so busy focusing, seeing, having our vision obscured by the difficulties we're currently suffering underneath. You remember the the tired and trite expression, Justin, how does it go about God's goodness? You've got a mask on so you don't want to talk. The mask has made him mute. New rule in the office. He wears the mask all the time. (laughs) All the time he wears the mask. No, it's something along those lines. God's goodness is for all times. His steadfast love endures forever. We have to be a thankful church. And our thankfulness is not impeded 
by any difficulty we encounter. Because our thankfulness rests in his character. Our thankfulness can look at losses of friendships. Our thankfulness can look at loss of jobs. Our thankfulness can look at a loss of health. Our thankfulness can look, and this is going to be hard for many of us, our thankfulness can look at an erosion of freedoms and a loss of our country and still say, I'm thankful. Don't believe the lie that it can't. Your heart will lie to you. It will lead you to believe and act as if your ability to be thankful solely hinges on some particular outcome. Our ability to be thankful extends back to him. And the reality of the powerful nature of our faith tethered to him is displayed in how often we engage in thankfulness. Some of us, that should be arresting. Some of us, that should be such an indictment as we visit over our last week. And we just take it and we say, man, I've not been thankful. I've not been joyous. I've been bitter. I've been despondent. I've been listless. I've been pessimistic. Allow God's love and favor to pull you back in to a vibrant relationship with him and allow him once again to cultivate in you thankfulness, which flows from allowing Christ to rule and reign in your heart. In those moments when you engage in difficulty, in those moments when you look at the next coming weeks and you think, I don't know how I'm going to get through this, submit those things to Christ. Humbly bow before him and say, God, this is where I see my heart going. This is where I see my head going. I want to submit this reality to you. Would you rule and reign? And Would you make me thankful? I had opportunities over the last maybe four weeks, to have three separate conversations with people going through decidedly difficult days, weeks, and months. Visited with a number of people that that have been given terrific, terrible, awful, devastating news about their health. They share the sadness about it. They say, this is the reality of my situation. It's not looking good. The doctor's given me this piece of news. But in all these things, God is faithful. In all these years, he has been faithful to me. He has never failed me, not once. And so even if I die, I'm unshaken. What they didn't say, but what they meant was his peace rules and reigns in their hearts. I've met with men and women whose relationships are absolutely on the rock. Every reason in their human heart, if they're to share their story with, with you or the I or with anybody on the street, they would be devastated and we alongside them. But in the midst of this hardship, in the midst of this difficulty, in, in the midst of this wrangling and desiring and weeping and saying, this is the future I wanted, this is the reality I face, God is proving himself to be good. God is showing them reasons for thankfulness. God is setting himself 
over their hearts, giving them a number of my family members in the oil and gas industry, and if you've followed anything to do with the coronavirus, it's been devastating. Massive pay cuts. Both my dad and my brother having to lay off a number of their friends, a number of people they've worked with for years, people they've known in the industry, losing their jobs, losing their homes. But every time I talk to my dad, he says, all this is passing. All this is fleeting. God is good and he is faithful. He has always been faithful to me. Who am I to complain now? Evidence of the peace of Christ ruling in our hearts. And you and I, you and I are sent as ambassadors, calling men and women to experience that same freeing reality that doesn't pull them out of difficulty but it changes how they endure it changes how they traverse amen and would you join with me as I pray Father I am thankful that the peace you have on offer differs so much from the peace that we occasionally experience Peace we experience is short-lived. It, it is occasionally intoxicating. But we know that it always comes to an end. It always has to be cared for. But you offer us through the blood of Christ's cross, peace eternal. Father, I pray for any who have yet to submit themselves to your Son, to confess their sin, to turn from it, and to cry out to your Son for salvation that today they would seek peace in the name of Jesus. God, whether they're in this room or online, God, would you grant them your peace, the forgiveness of their sins through the blood of your son Jesus, bringing them to yourself. And God, would you remind those of us who have already submitted ourselves to your son that we live not in the passing reality of a vanishing peace, but we live under the ever-present reality of a peace which is eternal, which is, exists now, and will be realized in all places by all people at the return of your son Jesus, in whom we place our life and our confidence. And we submit these things to you in his name. Amen.